Hello. And welcome to the Vandal Factory Podcast. My name's Natalie Quatermass. And I'm Henry Rabin. And together we are Vandal Factory. And if this is your first time listening to the Vandal Factory Podcast, welcome listener. A very fine, warm welcome to you in your search for podcasts about art and activism. You, you found, found us. One. <laughs> uh, almost in sync, but yeah, not quite. This Henry is a poet and a playwright and a punk and, you know, various things. You can't define him, really. Mostly things beginning with P. Yep, only. Pizza. Pratt. Plonker. Oh. Uh, and I'm a, a theatre maker and uh, whatnot. And so together <laughs> we... Arts facilitator, <laughs> community et cetera, et cetera, activist. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so here at Vandal Factory, we like to talk all things art and activism. We speak to a whole array of incredible artistic people and support a whole load of causes. Today is no exception. We've got the incredible uh, Johnny Campbell uh, doing an interview with us, a troubadour, folk musician, rambler, artist extraordinaire, and we've also got the occult, non-binary, metalhead comedian, Andrew O'Neill. Two people that I hugely, greatly admire. I've seen before many a time. And they were great chats. We've been waiting, particularly with the Andrew O'Neill interview. We've been waiting a long time. Sat on it like a little egg. Uh, very excitingly, with these two um, interviews we love it when a theme arises mm. in the in the Vandal Factory podcast and this theme accidentally occurred where Andrew's show is talking about land and housing and uh, the, hierarchy yeah. and, and then also Johnny's album launch also has all of those themes and so these two things coming together couldn't be better and yet as musicians they couldn't be further apart yeah very different genres yeah. of people they meet at the crossroads of the vandal factory podcast where all travelers come to rest their weary feet oh lovely commoners choir call their imaginary pub of the mind the hope and anger oh. and here on the vandal factory podcast we also like to talk mm -hmm. about hope and anger as being the fuels that get us out of bed in the morning and keep you fighting the good fight so henry how's your hope how's your anger i have been feeling hugely angry <laughs> yeah there's a lot <laughs> there to be is, angry about i mean eyes on rafa at the moment is that uh, if you're new to the podcast me and natalie talk a lot about palestine over the last few episodes and right now, while you're listening, bombs are dropping on civilians in Rafa. So we are very angry and we're sort of holding that. So if there's any joy in our, our voices, it's it's just a lie. We're just... All the activists that we are speaking to, marching shoulder to shoulder with every week, there's a dissonance in every breath at the moment. Part of you is grieving and in horror and screaming and uh, you can have those moments and also then like need to go to work just like the world doesn't make sense and we're trying to navigate your way through it i think that's all you can do in terms of hope like we, like because i'm making so many beautiful connections at these demonstrations we're attending every saturday and online and artists across the world like i, I put someone on x the other day that was like Artists that are speaking out and standing about this and not being silent, I see you. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting ironclad respect for people yes. that are being vocal about the, the, this this atrocity that's happening. And the the silence and those people not turning up. And and what I wanted to reflect on is like there's weirdly lots of photos where I'm 
quite smiley on these demonstrations.、Mm. And sometimes I go, oh my goodness, am I treating them as a bit of a beano where I get to be noisy in the street? But I think there is so much camaraderie and specialness about coming together that there are、yeah. moments where you feel that. That joy and and wonder and that that hope, the that, hope, the that... hope, the hope. It's the it's the hope that kills you, though. I mean, the bombs as well. They're killing people as well. Yeah.、Um, how about you, Natalie? How's your hope slash anger? Hope is.、Um, I think it was on the last episode, wasn't it? That that、um, that Mark Thomas referred to hope not being really a, a thing that's on the West Bank, but resilience is there. And I think that's certainly where I'm at these days.、Um, that I I don't really believe that like our life is gonna amount to much. <laughs> like,、mm. I really don't. I'm like laughing about it because if you didn't laugh, you'd cry, and that's、mm. not that's not great podcasting.、Um, <laughs> but check out the Vanu Vatry podcast. They just cry <laughs> for twenty minutes and then they play a pre-recorded interview. They wanted to be authentic, so they just played、mm. themselves in the fetal position, crying.、Um, but but we will get through it somehow. You know, there will be. You will continue putting one foot in front of the other, and it doesn't. The sort of hopelessness doesn't make me feel hedonistic. We're not in that stage. We're in a. Well, I'm. If we're stuck on this ship and it's sinking, we might as well have a parade. We are going to keep doing what you believe in. You're、yeah. going to go, and I'm going to go down fighting for what I believe in, and that's how I feel at the moment. Uh, that 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 even if someone, if even if it amounts to nothing, even if it's pointless, well, I'm still gonna do it. Yeah. So. And and on that note, like, there's been some rumblings just in the last 24 hours about funding and about arts council and about reputations, and we're trying to unpack that. So I feel we don't want to say too much because there's so much conversation zipping back and forth. But, But for it, anyone who、yeah. has no idea what that is about, just give them a brief. So, Summarization, even though. So the like, art, yes, Arts Council England are funders for artistic organisations and individuals across England, and、uh, they changed their、um, relationship status to in a relationship no a relationship <laughs> framework, which is like your your reputation of like what's at risk. So I suppose examples are if you have a member of your staff that、um, is involved in some illegal wrongdoings. Would be controversial to fu- keep funding an organisation that that hasn't addressed this. Or, for example, you just keep getting really bad reviews, and therefore there's a question of quality and how can the Arts Council continue to fund something with that reputation? But it updated it to include individuals who work for the organisation's political beliefs and activism, going out and 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 doing your your political individual beliefs.、Mm. In the world, could impact the organisation you work for, and therefore that could impact the funding. And so, a lot of people were really outraged and outraged and angry that this is a form of censorship and it's coming down on people. And clearly, about recent things that are happening with Palestine, and, because, and the out and the、yeah. out, the Arts Council are a branch of the government. They、yeah. are a central,、um, central funders. Funder, yeah. So essentially, you have the state saying, "Oh, now steady." Don't go and do anything too controversial now,、yeah. because we won't be funding you if,、uh, if if we deem you as having a reputational risk、yes. because I, of your activism. And we we sort of want to challenge what that means when you say controversial, because we don't think that saying that 
the criticism of the Israeli state and its and its attacks on civilians in in Gaza is controversial to stand on a platform and say we we denounce this though though they've re- the arts council have put out a statement in response and they say they they are still very much in support of free speech again this does feel so much on palestine when they put out a huge um list of reasons why you should support ukraine and why you should in, uh, engage in certain levels of boycott against russia and belarus and so why is it one wing of the state says this we encourage this this is good this is fine mm-hmm. to stand in solidarity with ukraine and yet when uh, this feels completely a sort of low level thing of like just just be careful with those palestinian flags um and as artists you know we need to speak truth to power and speak it we will so, with this in mind, me and Henry have a much overdue conversation that we need to have with you, gorgeous listeners, which is, um, we've done this for nearly two years now, over two years, yeah. there's a fair amount of content, and we want to do it more, like, our hearts are in these conversations we're having, championing artists, and to do that, we'd at least like to cover our own expenses and unfortunately nothing in this world is free and therefore yeah we're not we're unlikely to get any art council funding <laughs> anytime uh, soon yeah so uh, so our, our our options for kind of public funding are fairly narrow because of um the nature of our show therefore we just prefer it if you could fund us and we should probably uh, set up a Patreon page. Um, so keep that in mind. Keep what your eyes and ears watching. We've got to do some admin first. Boo. But yeah, in the next sort of month or so, I think we are going to aim to have a Patreon page. So if you've got a quid and you can give it to us, that would be brilliant. And that'll help us to keep championing all the artists and all the causes that we do here on Vandal Factory Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on X, formerly Twitter, and we'll be announcing how we're going to make this thing work. Without further ado, we don't want to talk about... um... We don't want to talk about money anymore, do done. we? Done. That's done. Let's talk about riffs. Let's How do you feel about, about riffs? Bangers. Yeah. So um, we are recording this at Chapel FM Art Centre in Seacroft. And this is here where I first met Keris from Amoya. And they are this really cool, alternative, grungy rock band, punk band uh, that are uh, blitzing through leads and making a lot of cool noise and Keris very kindly sent us a little bit of audio to introduce a track from their new EP so I think we're just gonna have a little bit of a banger. Hi everyone this is Keris from Amoya and I am here to introduce our brand new single The Sickness featuring Emma Marks and Breathe and Blow from our debut EP The Sickness which is out February 9th so this song is very important to all of us because it's the first song we've ever written as a band and it's all about mental health, mental health awareness, and my struggles with the addiction of the illness inside of my mind. But there is hope to finally relieve that self-doubt, all of that self-deprecation. So this is the sickness. Please enjoy, guys. Please keep streaming, and hopefully see you soon at all of our live gigs. Thank you. Yes. 
So we thought this would uh, be perfect to lead into our conversation with Andrew O'Neill. They are an occult comedian and, well, we've been going to see them for over yes, a decade now. Over a decade. Absolutely one of my favourite yeah. comedians who never fails to make me laugh. Yeah. And I loved this show so much. The show's called uh, Gabura. Gabura. I was avoiding that, Gabura. but go ahead. Um, and it's also, Andrew is an anarchist and it's hugely political. I mean, they can, they're going to describe the show here, but like... I think people go, oh, I, like, I don't like politics in comedy. I just want to laugh. Like, well, I'm doing both, right? Mm. I'm like absolutely in stitches at this surreal, bizarre, bat-strange comedy that Andrew does. At the same time, I'm like, at the end of it, like, I'm standing up and I'm ready. And I'm like, where's the revolution? Yeah. Come on, everyone. Let's laugh and start the fires. We should also put the, put the caveat in this <laughs> chat that um, we'd had a few jars 
uh, during this gig. Oh, oh dear. And, and so would Andrew, as yeah. he'll definitely hear. So get into the vibe of like, you've been to see some revolutionary comedy. You're having a great time. There's lots of Gen Z goths around. And, uh, you, Way past their bedtime. Yeah, and it's all... It's all just everyone having a lovely time. Here's the chat with Andrew O'Neill. Well, I first met you when you were supporting the men that will not be playing for nothing. Right? Yeah, with uh, one of Sherrington's gigs over in uh, over in York. Because yeah. they were like, who do we get to support a steampunk band? Well, I guess some like scrawny nerd punk poet. That's the only answer to that. <laughs> that is correct, because all other steampunk silly. bands are shit. So bear in mind, I was I was in the only good steampunk band that's ever existed. Um, <laughs> Smoky bastard were pretty good. Smoky bastard. So, I, I, how, so how are you? So I'm very well, thank you. I live in Leeds now. I used to live in York, and me and Natalie are a theatre company called Vandal Factory, and we do a podcast about art and activism. And just before uh, the pandemic hit, we were making a show that was, but our Bible was. Uh, what's it called? Who owns England? Who owns England? Oh, right. By Guy Shrapsall. And so I grasped Henry's hand when you mentioned it and I went, oh. And essentially everything we were working towards was like with four actors and musicians and we, Henry was writing it, I was directing it. We had like, it was going to be this big thing and COVID happened and none of it happened. And, and you've done it far better, far faster, <laughs> far funnier. You said everything we wanted to say. Um, well, Better. I can. I can, <laughs> I can, I can only. I can only apologise. The thing. The thing is, right. Here's the thing, right. This issue of 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 the housing crisis. It's a fucking scam, right? Oh, we need to put your energy prices up because of the war in Ukraine. Oh, do you? Is that because you're not making money? No. The the, the, the gas companies. I'm making more money than ever. So, what? So, why do you have to put our prices up? Because the war in Ukraine means we can't get gas from Russia, right? So, does that mean that you're making less profit? No. And that's the thing. That's why I talk about the storyteller class, right? Because it's 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 a fucking lie. Now, I learned a really really valuable lesson really early on. I used to work for Mambo, the Australian surf uh, leisure brand, right? And I like, because a mate of mine, back, so the back, was it when, when I was at university, I was in the hardcore. I, I had no idea you were going to start talking about Australian leisure brands there. This is a curveball. When I, was, when, I, when, I was at, when I was at university, the University of North London, don't look for it, it's not there anymore. Um, when I was at the university, the short-lived University of North London, I was in a hardcore band. And I was really involved in the hardcore scene. And a mate of mine, a Greek friend of mine, Sophia, worked for Mambo. And she's like, I can get you a job. So I got this job in a shop. We had this, this lecture in this shop in Carnaby Street by, by a cop. And he's like, OK, right, so we're uh, going to tell you guys that we're going to talk about shoplifting. Do you realise that every time someone shoplifts, that comes out of your pocket? And I was like, no, it doesn't. He's like, yeah, because so 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 they call it shrinkage, but every every you know every business that gets shoplifted from, they have to account for that, and that actually comes out of your wages. And I was like, no, it doesn't, because the way capitalism works is, uh, 
I get paid the minimum they can get away with and they charge the most they can get away with and that's economics. That is elasticity or inelasticity of demand. I learned this at GCSE, right? They, they literally, and, they, and it's that thing of the, like when the gas companies go, oh, it, it gas costs more, so we have to charge you more. No, gas costs more, so you make less profit. So you don't have to charge us more. You're making so much profit. And bear in mind, profit, for those at home, profit isn't what the company costs to run. Profit is what is in excess of what the company costs to run. So they're going, oh, we have to charge you more because of the war in Ukraine. That's a fucking, it's a lie. It's just 100% a lie. We're all paying more on our bills because the, because the energy companies went, cool, we can pretend that Ukraine means, like, it's a fuck, it's a, like an exact lie. When we, what we need to do is we need to tell everyone you can tap out. So a really good thing would be, for example, we're supporting this venue and venues are important, but also if we could find somewhere we could go where we could have off-license beers, if we could do it the punk way, if we could do everything that we could do, what, like, let's try, let's try and find ways we can do everything the punk way. Let's do everything the cheap way. And how can we support each other? Like, for example, touring bands should never have to pay for hotels. There should be a network of, you know, we should have a network of fucking floors that we can all sleep on, right? Comedy, you don't want most comedians staying with you. They're mainly pricks. Um, they're not, actually, that's not entirely true. Um, you know, Russell Brand is an outlier. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah topical um, but you know wouldn't it be much better if and, 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 and you know I run gigs in Oxford I'm like, like stay on my floor like no 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 act will ne- ever need to buy a hotel we need to create communities that insulate ourselves from the capitalist infliction of the doggy dog mentality right that's a fucking sentence yeah. And if you could uh, email that sentence to me, <laughs> I'm very pleased with it. Andrew, when you when you talk about this on stage, do you find people are nodding along, they get it, or do you think this is people are like their bla- their brains are going no. boom? No, 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 no. It's not like okay. So my last show was about anti-consumerism, right? Which made it very hard to sell merch. Um, <laughs> and that, but that show felt like a sell. I had to say to them. I'm shit at this, it's okay. Let's basically stop 90% of industry for the next 10 years. Because we don't need to make any more clothes. We don't need to make any more clothes. We don't need to make any more cups. We don't need to make any more phones. We don't need to make any more of these things. We can stop in, We can stop 90%. We need to make food and medicine and schools and hospitals. And we need to, like, we could stop. Like, we could fix the, we could fix the climate in 10 years if we just... Stop making shit we don't need. But this show, I go, landlords are cunts. <laughs> no, landlords are unnecessary. And, and I, the people I stay with in Edinburgh have another house and they're landlords. But I didn't do a thing today. Uh, there's a bit in the show that I usually do, which is, uh, re- remember this, this phrase, um, market rent. No, sorry, market rate is an anagram of you are a cunt, mate. Um, and, but, my, but my friends, the house, the flat that they own, they, they rent it out way below market rate. Now, now if, if, every, if everyone that owns property 
put it out at lower. And if I ever make real money, what I'm going to do is buy loads of property and rent it out at destructively low rate. Right? Is that with you like a land? Is that, is that like another word? Like a land? Not lord? Because you're not a lord. You're like a you're like something else. Like, you know, like a, a land sharer. Yeah, like a like yeah, right. A land angel. But that, but you know, the commodification of survival needs to be socially unacceptable. And that's that thing about telling a new story of like. We need, to, we need to start going. You're a landlord. Well, what's wrong with you? What? what? I've got a new property. Well, then you're... What? Why are you doing that? Like, like find another way to earn money. Uh, I've, been re- I've been reading a lot of my... Fi- so I did a film studies degree. I've been reading, re- rereading a lot of my film theory stuff recently. Mainly to argue against people who think the Barbie movie is brilliant. Uh, because uh, it's... As an as an as an as an anti-capitalist, as an anti-capitalist, I simply cannot accept that that Barbie movie is brilliant. Anyway, that's fine. I'm a formalist more than anything else, and my biggest excitement in in in, in life is finding new ways to be funny. So there's a big bit at the end of the first half of the show that we're not going to give away, and I've never done anything like that before. And I love it, and I'm so excited by it. And when I first came up, can you imagine when I first came up with that, how that felt? Like, oh, fuck, oh, oh, fuck, 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 right? So there's that, right? There's also, I've been working towards, uh, I, love, I love weird comedy, and I love surrealism, and I love non sequiturs, and I love Monty Python, and I love Harry Hill, and I love The Mighty Boosh, although The Mighty Boosh came out, came, came to the scene after I started stand-up um, and I love surrealism and I love I love experiments with form and I love more than anything else in life finding a way to be funny that no one else has done I love that I love that I love it so much and I love I also love club comedy and I love doing that stuff to people who are not comedy literate they've never some of them never been to comedy before and they're up for they're a Saturday night out, and I love doing that. I love working out how to sell that to mainstream people, right? But also, I am an anarchist, and I've been an anarchist for my entire adult life, and I've yet to have anyone dissuade me from that. And anarchism is really, really, really hard to sell as a stand-up. Because everyone's left, right, everyone's Tory Labour, everyone's like, with us or you're against us. And to be able to talk about very anarchist ideas in a way that makes people go, well, yeah, like it's already, yeah, well, of course. And then basically, and, and the housing crisis is the best way to do it. And you, if you rent, you know you're being fucked over, and you know it's not right, and the government are never going to do anything about it. Um, so, so to be able to do a stand-up show that's consistently funny, there's no bit in the show that, that dropped the funny for too long tonight, you know. And in the early days of forming the show, oh, oh, there were bits where people go, oh, you know. And that's that thing about finding who I am as a comedian. Andrew, is there a song you'd like us to play on our podcast? 
uh, that would get everyone vibed up? Maybe something that's inspired you when writing the show or something you're listening to or even some of your own music? Anything by a Mebix song in which he goes, Get off your knees! And that is written on my show notes. Your knees. <laughs> yes. Come on. Crack it on. might have the same ring to it as uh, Annex. And that was Andrew O'Neill. Thank you so much to Andrew for speaking to us. Yeah, it was great. In the background, you might have heard a couple of other voices. Um, when we were at Andrew's gig, we bumped into George and Bunty. who We made, made some new friends. We made some new friends in our 30s. Can you imagine? Um, called They, they run a zine called Hwait, which is H-W-A-E-T zine, uh, which is all about folk tales and folklore and the sort of dark, twisted, punky side to it. Um, and they, and they did make some... incredible artwork yeah. and had designed Andrew's poster. Yeah, tour poster. And they've worked with our guest that's coming up in a little bit, Johnny Campbell. They did some artwork for a festival that Johnny puts on. So, yeah, we want to give them a little shout out. And in fut- we will definitely do a future podcast with them where we're going to go on a walk and they can teach us about... Stones. The land and ancient stones and Ley tales lines, that are connected yeah. to these, um, to our land. So, um, yeah, please get in touch, Bunty and George. Land, eh? They're not e- making any more of it.
We've talked about land a little bit on a previous episode about rambling and trespassing. As you sort of heard, we were making a theatre show about land rights. So it bubbles in our heads. Natalie is caressing her copy of a Guy Shrubshole book. Can you she... hear it? It's got. It's, I got this for Christmas and it's still got... It's a real book in the studio, listeners, and it's still got that new book smell. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't read it yet. But please check out Guy Shrubsoul and know that, like, that is his real name, Shrubsoul, <laughs> and he talks about land and nature. But his latest book is called The Lost Rainforests of Britain, and oh, it, it is a thing of beauty. I just wanted to read out a little bit of what's on the back. Um, temperate rainforests may once have covered up one-fifth of Britain, inspiring Celtic druids, Welsh wizards, romantic poets, and Arthur Conan Doyle's most loved creations. Oh, only fragments now remain. They are home to a dazzling variety of luminous life forms. So land connects all of these political social justice issues such as, I mean, we mentioned Palestine before, that's about land. Environmental justice is about land. Hierarchy and who owns property and housing and who has the right to have a safe space and also who has the right to take up space in streets and are the, are the funders of your workplace mm. going to take away that right because you are taking up the wrong kind of space in the wrong kind of land. So these land, although it's a thing that we walk on every single day, it is infinitely political and if you're if this is a new um topic for you then i i just start with who owns england by guy shrubsoul it is a bible of knowledge and wisdom and yeah what a book what a book everything comes down to land it comes down to how big a family you're able to have it comes down to how much exercise you can have it comes down to what food you're eating it comes down to how much fresh air you get it comes down to what freedom of space you you're allowed your body is allowed in yeah and and so much of england is is roped off and not accessible to us it is just owned by, by the king by the king it is owned by the king, and yeah. we should take it off him. Yeah. Controversial! Oh, don't oh. be too controversial. But Henry. seriously, we need to take the land from the king. Yeah. Um, and someone that has been talking a lot about land is our next guest interviewer that we uh, we chatted to, which is Johnny Campbell. Oh, um, Johnny Campbell! So I've, I've had the pleasure of gigging with Johnny a couple of times in the the... the it, what, what's great about Johnny is he's a folk musician, but he fits into punk spaces because it's really politicised when he sings about trespass and land rights, um, but also fits into folk shows where it's very traditional. And he's going to talk about his new album, True North. We can also tell you, listeners, that we have a very exciting news because we've got a code that Johnny Ooh. has given us. So if you listen to the Vandal Factory podcast, you will actually get 10% off not just Johnny's latest album, but all of Johnny's merchandise. And that code is... Sale 10. That code is... Capital S, capital A, capital L, capital E, 10. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> so please go and support Johnny and get a lovely Vandal Raptor discount. Mm. Here's Johnny. Welcome to the Vandal Factory podcast, Johnny Campbell. 
Um, so we're recording this on the 2nd of January. Um, and I believe to celebrate the new year, you went for a ramble up a hill. Uh, how did you see in 2024? Yeah, the same as any other kind of um, last few years. Uh, just go for a yeah New Year's Day walk, this time near York. And quite nice not to wake up on a, with a hangover on a New Year's Day. And uh, that's the way I've done it for the last few years. So it's good. Yeah, so have we. The last couple of years, we've um, tried to get out to the coast. So uh, we mm. were in Filey for on a on a beautiful beach, clear skies, and yeah, it's in the last couple of years that um, I feel like I've grown up a little bit because I care more <laughs> about the next day being nice than I do the night before. Which um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely like a signifier of oh, I've gone into my thirties now. Mm. <laughs> Strong millennial vibes here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always been someone that enjoys the ramble up a hill? I know that that's we're going to talk about that as a key theme of of your folk music, or is that something you discovered sort of more recently as you as you were drawn towards the music? Uh, it's, it's something that um, I think many Yorkshire folk will get taken up a hill in their like. Uh, I suppose, like pre-teens or early teens by their parents, something like that. And it's one of those things that you either, you love it or you hate it kind of thing. It's um, And for me, it's something that I enjoyed. And it's something that I've been doing for like 25 years, something like that. So, um, And it's only just kind of recently really um, trying to combine the two of uh, what I call like the work-hike balance, which is trying to combine music and walking at the same time. So... Uh, I like that. I like yeah. that very much. So when, at what point did you start discovering the politics that are related to going for that walk? With the solo stuff that I'm, that I'm doing, it's always been uh, linked with uh, the landscape, with nature and, and radical politics. It's been a bit more like, uh, in, in the past, perhaps a bit more like overt, which is just more about like, I suppose, like political structures, which is a bit more kind of um, obvious. But um, especially with things like the Right to Rome campaign over the last few years, and just try, what I try and try and do is like link back the um, perhaps like past trespassers or past uh, pieces of radical history from the last two hundred years, and use that as kind of like a lens to kind of shine on what's happening um, today. So it it would be quite. I don't like to try and like pick out particularly. Um, uh, I suppose like traditional songs or. Um, events that don't really have any relevance today. It's got to have like um, a lens on what's happening today and uh, to make it relevant. So, um, yeah, that's what I try and try and do with what I'm doing musically across uh, you know places like Sweden, Norway, Estonia, uh, Finland, Scotland. Um, they have uh, something which is called broadly known as the right to roam, and across most of Europe, they have they will have something very similar. Um, in a sharp contrast to what we've got here in, in Scotland, they have a pretty much one hundred percent right to roam across the whole of the country, which um, they've had for twenty years now, and uh, it means that you are able to access land recreationally to camp, to walk, to cycle. Um, you just can't go into people's gardens or on cultivated land. Um, the difference is here is that 92% of England has been is completely off bounds. Uh, only 8% of England is um, available for access, and that's only been um, the case 
since the early 2000s. Um, but within that 8%, you're not allowed to um, uh, like wild camp, uh, cycle, um, horse ride, all the things that you are able to actually do uh, within within Scotland. Um, the reasons for this go back a, a millennia, right back to William the Conqueror um, and the more recent of the last 200, 300 years of the enclosures. Um, and this is just a stark contrast to what, what they have in, in Scotland and uh, you know the idea that we've we had the lockdown a few years ago, but in reality, England has been in lockdown for the past few past few centuries. Yeah, absolutely. And with even how much it um, is ingrained in us, even though I've known about this for years and years, and I've I've read Guy Shrub's Soul, I've 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 re- yeah. read George Monbiot, like I know this, but it's still deeply ingrained in there. So I was in Scotland uh, not so long ago in October. And mm. my brother is Scottish and lives up there. And I was looking at um a particular patch of like forest area and, and I was going, Are we allowed in there? That might be a good place to let the dog off the lead. And he was like, mm. Of course we are. And then went, You're in Scotland, remember? You've got the right to roam. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like it it just hadn't sunk in. And then he was also telling me that interestingly it's whoever owns that land it's their responsibility to make sure you have a safe passage through it yeah so it's sort of flipping the responsibility of um whoever owns it to make sure that there's a gate and a pathway through and that the animals you know however it's being used is done with people in harmony with whoever else might want to pass through it or whatever yeah, it's essentially all all the difference is is that in in Scotland, if you own a piece of land, you can't forbid people to access it. Uh, the difference is in England that's the, that's the contrast. If you look on an English map, you'll see like shaded areas which are kind of like shaded in orange, which means you are able to kind of walk freely off the path. There, you don't actually have them on Scottish maps. And for a long time, I kind of looked at Scottish maps and thought, "There's no public footpaths on here. There's nowhere where I can walk." So I didn't actually know about the, the right to roam in Scotland, even though they had it um, for quite a while. And then, uh, so yeah, when we're talking about it being ingrained, um, yeah, it's, it was it was very much in my mind, but it was kind of flipped on that kind of thing. I still come across a lot of people when I'm doing gigs that people don't know about it or don't even recognise it. Um, and it's something that's completely normalised, right? That that if if people just get used to not having something which happens like across all areas of our lives some though sadly i think there'll be a generation that are not used to having an nhs that worked really well and that, that they just get used to that and therefore think it's outrageous to demand it like like uh, student fees or anything like that yeah. it's just all, all it takes is just um a couple of decades or even a generation for, for to pass and people uh think that it was a ludicrous idea or it was yeah. totally unimaginable but no it's um, these things are within our lifetime but but johnny you, you're part of a tradition of the troubadour spirit this idea of rambling dare i say trespassing that comes with folk music of of creating sounds that are about our cultural heritage but also about travel and moving and is that a core theme of this new album true north which is taking the past and saying we can draw from it and move forward and and we can be naughty with with our with our landscapes 
Northern landscapes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've still yet to come across like a like a, a PR friendly version of how to describe the, the album, and um, I've not come across it yet. But basically, the album is recording traditional songs of northern of each northern English county uh, on or around their respective county high point. If you can manage to find a way of saying that within ten words, let me know. But, um, so you've literally so, recorded them. Being naughty with the landscape—that'll <laughs> do. So you, so, you li- did you? Yeah. So you literally recorded them on the highest point of each county, or is they they're inspired by those points? Uh, no, recorded them on uh, on and around the highest points of each county. Uh, each of them, each of the songs, is a, a traditional song of each county, and the idea is to kind of create this, uh, I suppose, like psycho geographical kind of tapestry of the north with the songs. So um, each song will kind of tackle a particular a particular theme. So, for example, um, the the song that I recorded on Green Hill, Gregorath, which is Lancashire's highest point, uh, is a song called Four Loom Weaver, which is um, which is about uh, people who are working in the uh, loom weaving industry in eighteen nineteen eighteen twenty who were losing their jobs to uh, steam powered um, machines at that point. I'm a four-loom weaver, as anyone knows. I've knelt to it, and I've worn out me clothes. Me clogs are both broken, and stockings have none. You'd scarce gears tuppence, for out I've got on. Old Billy at band kept telling me long We might have better times if I'd nubbed held me tongue I've held me tongue till I've never lost me breath And I feel in me heart I'll soon clem to death how the landscape um, influences um, the people itself. So, for example, the the Pennines, where the water runs down the, the hills, providing the power to mills that that uh, powered the you know, transatlantic slave trade and made a lot of people incredibly wealthy. But because of that, that created things like um, the you know unions it created uh the industry that surrounds that created the chartists and things like that and that's synonymous with the northern identity and it's kind of like exploring the how how does the landscape influence uh the people itself uh Man. that's that's a detailed song some of the some of the other songs are less kind of detailed in that but i've written a, a zine to go with the album that that goes into uh, the kind of like the links much much further. Providing a zine with an album is like oh, like when we used to get you know CDs and have like proper <laughs> artwork and the lyrics and everything. We're kind of going backwards again, aren't we? To needing, wanting, um, I don't know, something tangible to go with it. And a bit of homework. It. Yeah, like my homework <laughs> to go with my albums. <laughs> yeah, I'll be doing um, tour in in March. Um, I can't remember how many dates, maybe something like 15 um, 
yeah, 15 days, something like that, across uh, Wales, Scotland, uh, mostly in England. And uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the tour is is very is very fresh for me. It's it's kind of pushing it into like a a bit of like a different kind of like stage of what I'm doing. Previously, what I'd done is like, um, you know, majority of ticket ticketed shows and um, some free entry shows, but everything on here is um, a, a ticketed show, and um, yeah, it'll be across like uh, a few gigs in London. There's um, yeah, Blythe, Whitby. Maybe we should we should go and try and walk up everything. We I want to listen to the song in the place. How many songs is there? Twelve. Uh, oh, there's eight songs. Eight songs. Eight days out from your new oh, Henry. Nice. Go for a little walk. Well, I want Johnny to come with us, and so I don't want to put my headphones in and listen to a little song. Eight <laughs> just... days out for me, you and Johnny. <laughs> Unless you're like, oh, I'm sick of going up there. How did you? Did you have to get it in one take when you went up these? As not one take, but or did you visit them multiple times and do multiple recordings? Um, initially, my my idea was to just do it in three takes because it's a because it's a field recording, like outdoor recording. Um, I want to try and keep it as authentic as possible with with some wind, with some uh, you know, with anything else in there. There's a lot of people out there who will do field recordings that uh, just sound exactly like the studio, and uh, I think that's kind of defeating the object. Um, I hear the landscape that you're talking about or singing about. Yeah, and, and what I, what I did is I did the last song in September, um, which was recorded the video at the same time, which. Um, the videos on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, the first single that come out called. Uh, it's called "Here's the Tender Coming." video and audio at exactly the same time which is really hard to do outdoors because you need the perfect take for the video the perfect video uh, perfect take for the audio and the perfect take for just the performance all at the same time but after that recording which was just so fantastic and um, it was better than any of the other recordings of the album i had like about about a month and a half to have the deadline for everything and i decided to re-record half the half the album within a month because it was that recording was just so good that I had to go back to the locations and back oh, to wow. record. Well, so yeah, <laughs> that's a nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting with the people who turn up to the shows, and you know, I, I often get people coming to coming to gigs, and not not even talking about the music, but they they just want to have a chat at the merch table about a about a closed off bridal way at the, mm, yeah. at the end of the lane. And that does that really does happen. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Is there a particular song that you've been enjoying lately, or an artist, or an influence that you'd like us to play on the podcast? Um, yeah, if if there's possibility of any Pogue song as we know like it was uh, Shane McGowan's passing in at the end of November and he was a massive influence on on my music and uh, you know we've had a lot of people like uh, musicians pass away in the last few years uh, but none has touched myself more than uh, Shane McGowan so um, if if you if your audience doesn't mind swearing the sick bed of Cullum And Richard Tauber are singing by the bed. There's a glass of punch below your feet and an angel at your head. There's devils on each side of you with bottles in their hand. You need one more drop of poison and you'll dream of foreign lands. When you pissed yourself in Frankfurt and got sipped down in Cologne, and you heard the rattling that trains as you lay there all alone. Frank Ryan bought your whiskey in a prattle in Madrid And you take some fucking blackshirt who is cursing all the yids And a sick bit of Coo Cullen will nail and say a prayer But it goes a rattling at the door and devil's in that chair But in the Houston Tavern you screamed it was your shell But I wouldn't give you service so you kicked the windows out they took you out and turned a street, kicked you in the brains. So you went back then through a bolted door and did it all again. And a sick man out could come in, well, nail and say a prayer. And the cars are rattling at the door, and the devil's in that chair. Drunken bastards singing Billy in the bell I took you up to midnight mass And left you in the lurch So you dropped a button in the plate And skewed up in the church Now you sing a song of liberty From blacks and packs of jocks And I'll take you from this dump You're in and stick you in a box Then I'll take you to the prior And shove you in the ground we you stick your head back out and shout, we'll have another round. And the great sword of Kirk Cullen will kneel around and cry. And God is in his heaven, and Freddy's down by the fire. stuff um we were actually listening to johnny's album true north 
while we were making placards, which was quite a fun little experience of like, oh, rambling and big rams and I'm a working man. Paint, 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 cut, cut, cut. There's a placard. Those placards were for the artists and culture workers block that Henry and I set up for the first time on the 10th of Feb. And if you don't know, a block is any group of people that decide to march together. I would add that if you are an artist, you're a poet, and you're like, I want to spread the word, I want to raise awareness, I want to write a song, I want to put on a play, and you say this is about Palestine, you'll get a very specific audience. If you make a beautiful, powerful placard, if you create a song and you march with the city centre of Leeds or wherever you live you will get a much wider audience that you are throwing this message at them and provoking and and starting a conversation as they get their phones out to record this spectacle that marches past. And so if you think about audience, that's where your audience is. And it's the old, old saying, that's you doing it as an individual, but come together and what do we become? We also wanted to do it because we wanted... To, it's, it's artists that are being targeted. Yeah. Artists are being silenced in Palestine and so are journalists. So are storytellers. Every Palestinian has to in, it become a storyteller just through existing. They have to scream their stories at the world in order to try and be heard. Mm. So it's, it's showing that I see you and I'm physically going to come out to the streets and demonstrate that I see you. If you want to hear more from the storytellers, Palestinian storytellers, we've put out big special podcasts on Palestine where people say in their own words what their art is. We play music, we play poetry. And in terms of this last Watermelon March, we've got Vox Pops from the artists and we've got Commoners Choir singing and we've got Chants from the March and that's all as a separate mini podcast, Factory Floor Cut. So please check that out wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Yeah, so Henry just dropped in there that this was the Watermelon March. You might be thinking, why? What on earth does that mean? Well, when we went to that London, which was also on the last podcast, um, we were as you taken by the spectacle of being in a London protest and how colourful and vibrant. And on our way back in the coach, we started chatting about, well, how can we bring an element of that back to Leeds? And and it, if if we're not going to do it as theatre makers and poets and bring a little bit of vibrancy to the usual marches, then who is? Uh, particularly as it keeps going on, we start thinking, how can we tell this story? And because every protest you are telling a story, um, how can we tell this story differently that keeps people interested, that maybe engages with a different audience? Um, and so we came up with the idea of, of having a themed march that was themed on the watermelon and I worked with three gorgeous children to tell the story of the watermelon and why it's a symbol of um, Palestine. We had the commoners choir come and sing and teach the crowd uh, a round of Ceasefire Now, their latest song. And everyone really got into it and were wearing watermelon hoods and placards and we had two huge inflatable watermelons (laughs) and there was all sorts going on. So we hope that that might have caught someone's eye. A usual shopper might, rather than just dismiss an angry mob and be like, oh yeah, that's that thing that people do in Leeds now. They might go, why are they carrying a watermelon? And Google and and find out a little bit of this Palestinian history. Um, but so it's a shame that nothing rhymes with melon, isn't it? Other yeah, than felon. felon. 
Joe Biden, you're a felon. We stand by the watermelon. Yeah, we're all in our thousands, in our melons. We are all Palestinians. <laughs> doesn't roll. Yeah. Although I did, I made a um, like a sandwich board yes. that had every child is one in a melon. Which and then they had the picture of the melon and that was worn around. It had not a target on the back. Yeah. That was one. I saw people with like watermelon like hood hoods up, yeah. like 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 little halos around them, which was very strange. Yes. Uh, but we've got a little clip. As Henry yeah. says, you can go and listen to lots more audio about it in our factory floor cuts. But just a little clip here, so you know what we're talking about. Brazilians. Next, we've got Natalie. Natalie has helped organise this beautiful event. She is um, <laughs> going to speak about the watermelon yeah. theme march. And I'll hand it over to Nat. Who, who's this geezer? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Henry is well. Henry is well. Henry is well. Henry is here. Yeah. Uh, Henry's here too. Yeah. Um, Hi, everyone. Gibby, you all look fantastic. Show me your watermelons. Weigh them up. As artists, we believe in creativity and culture and stories as a form of resistance. And we have three incredible storytellers who are here to tell us a story of why we're all carrying watermelons today. Where are my three little storytellers? Do you want to come up here? One day, a group of artists got to share an exhibition of painting about their land. But the exhibition was shut down by officers. One of the artists said, they told us that painting the flag was forbidden, but also the colors were forbidden. So one painter said to an officer, what if I were to paint a flower in red, green, black, and white? To which the officer replied angrily, it will be confiscated even if you paint a watermelon, it will be confiscated. Imagine confiscating a watermelon. So the watermelon became a symbol of Palestinian culture and resistance. The chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. So, for any new listeners, this is the part of the show where I like to provoke Henry. I bring some thoughts on my creative practice, relating it to the rest of the world, maybe something I've read recently or someone I've spoken to. And that's because I'm doing a PhD in practice-based research at York St. John's University in theatre and environmental justice. And so, this is a way of me kind of documenting my practice. And... The main thing we've been doing recently is protesting about Palestine. And I'm just taken by the similarities between conversations that activists have when arranging a demo and the conversations that theatre makers and performers have and the crossover between those two. Because in case you haven't realised, a protest is a performance and a performance a lot of the time can also be a protest. So I wanted to bring to you some of the conversations that have been happening. Unfortunately, these conversations are happening in a WhatsApp group, which is one of the worst ways of communicating. But I just thought it was so fascinating that I joined a, a demo organizer's WhatsApp group with 
dozens and dozens of people that I don't know. I've probably been marching alongside them, but I, I don't. you don't necessarily get people's names. And in this, this is just after me and Henry have had the chat where we're like, oh, we should, what can we do? Where's some more like creative, performative ideas that we can do with these demos? And I made the suggestion that maybe we could have a kind of, theatrical moment that we take up the space in the middle of one of the marches on Saturday and we all agree that we're going to stop for a minute of silence and with this fists in the air people up on each other's shoulders placards raised high we're gonna take up and block that street and freeze and you imagine that before this it's been a cacophony of blasting noise yeah. and chants and suddenly on 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 a on a, 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 a well everyone a it would happen like it wouldn't happen suddenly because yeah. you've got a thousand people but you agree a time and a place and go it's going to stop and you've all yeah. got a the word goes down the line it would happen like um uh you know whispers being yeah. passed down the line and everyone stops and then you continue. So this was my idea that I was proposing to the group. And it sparked what, I don't know, to, to other people it might not be interesting. But I thought it was really interesting. People commenting on the use of silence in protests. And we've got some of these ideas. Um, Henry, do you want to kind of pick out a couple that you thought were interesting first thing that people would think is well a protest is meant to be noisy it's meant to be loud it's meant to be angry and taking that away is almost like taking the the fuel from the fire it's asking people not to scream their hearts out and people absolutely do this is their space mm. to, to yes and and i completely agree with that these saturday demonstrations are like therapy so the rest of the week you feel so isolated and it's sitting and watching undescribable horrors and because of the way the internet works you could see three of these undescribable horrors and also like someone's cappuccino and their puppy all before you've kind of got out of bed in the morning mm. which is not healthy and so on a Saturday yeah that is your chance to scream your lungs out um my counter argument of course was to say i wasn't saying that there shouldn't be any noise i was saying we sh it's really powerful to turn the volume down suddenly for a short amount of time and then turn it back up again and it creates a new story which is what we're trying to do is to get the press to report on this moment and then the anger is is um echo is is just like palpable again because like suddenly the silence has then been replaced by a cacophony a, a, a especially is this yeah. my suggestion was then after the minute silence, we go into ceasefire now and we've got a better chance of actually a thousand people chanting it together. Yeah, just yeah. all one chant rather than the um, the different overlapping cacophony that you usually get. Um, however, then another person said, equally, very good point. I'm not um, sort of challenging any of these because I think they're just interesting. Someone said, but I'm a steward on these um, protests and we often get heckled and sometimes these are just larry drunken people coming uh, out of a pub going uh, yeah this what's this about uh, there's a bit of that and sometimes they're deeply offensive and abusive yeah. and so if we are silent then you're giving power to well you're giving volume yeah. to the abuse i would say like again thinking about this the noise will return and i think that like the power of that it's almost like a a, a 
boom of energy, a burst of energy. So yeah, you've got these ripples of 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 yeah, if some idiot's gonna do some shouting about it or whatever, like they will suddenly be faced with like the power of a united front in one go, mm -hmm. which happens anyway. Like when people are listening to speeches and someone walks past and gives it a bit of, oh, mate, we all stop the speeches and we we get the chance going. Against and them. again, going back to the WhatsApp group, someone else made the point that if we're all standing in united silence and then there's there is absolute dignity in that the 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 self control to be able to stand still like that mm. um i feel like it would be a mirror like you're holding up a mirror to passers by and saying have you stopped to look at to think about this for a minute so 1917 you said there was a, a an example of a silent protest in america yeah so then then during this conversation i start googling silence in protests silent protests of which of course there's a long woven history of using silence in protests i should also mention that there is a silent protest that happens every week in leeds and they are called the women in black and they stand wearing black holding up their placards in silence the red rebels from extinction rebellion perform in silence and there's incredible images from Fifth Avenue, New York City, uh, with hundreds of black people all wearing white walking in silence. So there's, yeah, there is power in this and it's, it's all a theatrical performance, which I find very interesting. But all these conversations always come down to what artists talk about, which is efficacy and and. What what impact do you want to have on your audience? And who are your audience? I've started uh, doing a little bit of teaching at York St. John and on a module that is about um, arts and activism. And, and they're reading this week is two articles, one by Sally Hickson in the University of Gulf in Canada. And another is by Ollie Mould at the University of London, the Royal Holloway. And they're also picking apart similar kind of uh, questions, you, particularly the just stop oil protests where they're throwing stuff at art, um, very valuable art, and they're asking similar questions. How effective is the messaging? Hickson makes the point that with these protests, the destroying of artwork, although they don't destroy them because they're often like limited damage is caused, it's, it, they're grabbing the headline and they're trying to provoke people into an action and maybe if you are outraged at the thought of an artwork being destroyed then maybe you might want to be outraged by the thoughts of the tides rising and that piece of artwork being destroyed because we no longer live in a society that can sustain our mm. our way of life that's what they're trying to do but they bring up the point that um, or critics bring up the point if you have to explain it then maybe you're not winning the battle you're already lost because people don't stick around for the explanation they're just gonna see the headline and you're not in control of what that headline is and then they're going to react to that rage which is these ridiculous people how dare they do this and on the other hand i can also argue that what artist is in control of their audience's reaction so they're still going to, you've still got to do something. I don't know a single piece of theatre when the the audience have unified, had one reaction and then all left. Like we agree that this is what the meaning of the piece was and 
now we're leaving. And yes, standing on a stage, I'm, I'm, I think I'm unmuddled in a lot of messaging that I say as an artist when I criticise, I've criticised austerity or I've criticised, attacked racism or hostile environment policies and now Palestine. But I guess that's your messaging yeah. rather than what effect it's going to have on your audience member. Mm. So that's what we're talking about is is the impact on the audience member. They're saying we want people to ask themselves, hmm, if I'm really angry about Van Gogh's sunflowers, then maybe I should be angry about the climate crisis as well. That's the point in us doing this. And we're saying, well, people get angry, sure, but they're not doing that next step necessarily or you're sort of leaving that up to them. Um, that bit is what goes on in sort of the people who are already discussing and thinking about these things. And the chances are, if you're discussing and thinking about the meaning of art, then you might also be clued up on what is going on in the climate crisis. It's a wider conceptual idea that I do think one of the criticisms in activism is that it's distracting from like oil companies and there is you know a long tradition of over 20 years of people targeting through um climate camps in the 2000s like actively targeting the offices and that's happening at the moment palestine is actively targeting teledyne and elbit systems and going to these workplaces and blocking roads and spraying red so by taking it away from the headquarters and and the and the banking systems and the corporate systems and putting it into art places it, it it's much more this wider concept which i totally agree with but maybe we should be pointing the finger much more directly again talking about land on the the high streets or the behind the scenes or the corporate systems it's about where is this stuff hap- literally happening literally the offices where or the factories that they're producing um that these these uh, these weapons are producing these drills that are going to be fracking, etc. Well, it's funny you should make that point, Henry, because Ollie Mould makes the point ah, in his article that he's art, been listening to this podcast. Art is an extension of corporate power. First off, museums and art galleries have long been used by fossil fuel companies for the purposes of art washing. The ethical acceptability process of funding art and culture to smooth over their very unethical corporate practices. So he brings that up, mm, but point. again, it's it, there's a layer to which. It's yeah. a very blunt tool, essentially. It's a blunt hammer for something that, that needs a little bit more chewing yeah. over. And uh, I will say that just in the last week, there have been sit-ins and protests at the Museum of Modern Arts in New York and as well as the British Museum down in that London where activists have been linking the fossil fuel industries that have been supporting these museum sponsoring and also have been uh, part of the genocide happening in Palestine and it's all it's all linked together of massive corporations Absolutely, they're the same they're the um, same companies who are making money but I suppose that for that audience then the people that um that are doing those protests feels like that is very much targeted at the administration and the powers that be to say we want you to stop sponsoring this we want mm. you to platform Palestinian artists and we want you to boycott um Israeli um goods or Israeli artists or Israeli products now I'd say that what um, Just Stop Oil have been doing with their um, throwing uh, soup at, at, at paintings and that thing, um, that's not... I I haven't read that as, as specifically about the museum, saying we want you, the museum, to take more of a 
a stance on climate. I might be wrong, I might have missed that, but that wasn't a demand on the space. That was, as I say, a conceptual thing that was trying to link these ideas of like, what is the use mm. of art or what do we put value in? And so I think that, again, uh, when we talk about protest and messaging, it's like, what is the demand? What is the mm. ask? So at the moment, it feels quite easy and I think it might get more complicated in the future, but at the moment, it's, it's a ceasefire. We just want mm. a cease, like, just give us the ceasefire. Now, at some point, there will be another pause to the fighting and then it gets cut because people go, oh, well, you got a ceasefire. Mm. And you go, no, 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 okay, well, then it's about the occupation. Well, what it's does about a ceasefire justice. mean? Yes. I mean, for goodness yeah, yeah. sake. Um, uh, meaning, yeah. uh, it's the Labour front bench talk about a meaningful ceasefire at the moment, but they're not talking about justice within that ceasefire. Anyway, so so so, so I guess the point I'm saying is like, okay, well, if, if that, that activism is a demand and it's also an artistic action it's talking about art and again it's what what are you asking of of doing it and so if you're asking people to think conceptually that sounds great and we always want to, people to think conceptually in any you know walk away from this podcast with ideas chewing in your brain walk away from performances um but is that gonna happen in a 30 second action which you know i'm not i'm not dismissing i think it is important i, I do support it i think it was a great visual thing and it did capture the headlines and it has sparked conversations i suppose and, and actually yeah. i've seen some great clips although i'm sure they're not the majority but activists and leaders of um the climate justice movement being able to get on primetime telly because of this action yeah. and then they get to say what people really need to know about the climate crisis so that's yeah. their argument is like otherwise the bbc wouldn't be talking about the impact of the climate crisis but because that person was able to get through the door and the a producer could go yeah okay we'll have that young person in or they might yeah. not have been young, but then they get to have their two minutes of, yeah, 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 someone threw some soup and uh, isn't everyone outraged? Also, why aren't we talking about the climate <laughs> crisis and the impact that it's going to have? And I guess maybe the same is also said for Palestine and going, you you, you cannot give us this um, normalising of just quiet support, mm. diplomatic cover for um, the genocide, for the siege, for the occupation. And that's what our leaders and, and all mainstream coverage is saying, that it's just allowed to continue week after week after week. You cannot say that the majority of people in this country agree with that and will just quietly go along with it. We will disrupt that narrative. And if we don't have the power, then we've got power in numbers. And that's why we need everyone out on the streets every saturday or, or or if you if you do struggle to be physically there like just be shouting loud about it in your workplaces in your in your your schools colleges universities in your friendship circles uh, like try and break the algorithm like mm. show up but show up in in your sphere that you can yeah. do um yeah Absolutely. Well, we're going to finish on a banger that is very unambiguous on the messaging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you like blunt songs battering you round the heads, then oh boy, please enjoy Nat's banger of the hour. Because every single song you own is a banger. It's time for Nat's banger of the hour. Bangers. Is it a banger? This is my banger of the hour. The almighty rock gods that are prophets of rage. And this is Unfudge the World. 
system. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Exploding phones, killing trolls on my mission. Uh, I'm elated to get y'all elevated. God remains God, yeah, and they hate it. All you need, people, pledge allegiance to the evil. Everything's changed, yet nothing's changed. Hold this change, everything looking strange, yeah. Engineers got millennials living in fear. Give a damn, evil can't stand, yeah. When the people take a stand, oh, no hatred. Back in.